insight, banter, and comedy? It's Behind the Line Radio with your host, Kinetic, and it starts now. Hello everyone and welcome to Behind the Line Radio, a podcast about the making of video games, the business of video games, and the people of the video games industry. I'm your host, Kinetic, aka Nick. Joined as always by my co-host, host of Point Streak here on Enthusiasts, Baron Fang, or Jeff. How are you doing today, Jeff? Excellent, Nick. And joining us to talk about a topic that doesn't exactly get a whole lot of attention in the general discourse, uh, user acquisition, Warren. How are you doing today? Hey, guys. I'm great. Thanks for having me on the show. Thanks for being here. So... A lot of times I see, you know, I, I, I talk about one of the points of this show is to talk about the business of, of the video games industry. And a lot of times people look at um, the costs associated with developing a game as though it's kind of just paying the developers. And it, it's a little bit like looking at a movie just for the production costs. And if you're not going to take any marketing into account... It, your your numbers are way the hell off. User acquisition, it's not marketing directly. I know I know they're d- different teams, but it you know there's a lot of collaboration there, and so I just I wanted to to um, broach this topic and maybe dispel a few myths, increase some understanding, and so forth. So. Um, Warren, why don't you give us a, a little uh, uh, flyover explanation of kind of what you do and how it fits into the ecosystem? Yeah, for sure. I think there's um, there's a lot of uh, presumptions or kind of gray areas of knowledge around user acquisition. I mean, you you, you said it's it's not really marketing, but at the end of the, at the end of the day, it is. Um, it's a, it's a term that wasn't really in prominence until a couple of years ago. Uh, I think I was doing it for a few years before I knew that that's what it was called. But basically, user acquisition, uh, which we'll just call UA for syllable shortage from here on out, it's, it's, it is marketing. It's just advertising, but it's advertising where you know where all your money is going exactly, and you know what exactly is coming from that. So you're, you're tracking everywhere you spend, and then you're tracking the users that come in from that spend uh, and seeing how they behave over the course of the lifetime in their product. So I guess that's that's the high level overview. I, I, I guess you could call it, you know, I, I, I say marketing is different because I've seen it like as a separate group in an organization. Sure. So I guess you could call user acquisition a little bit like the uh, intersection of marketing and analytics, the way you described, like you're able to track the users. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, it take, definitely takes a little uh, left brain, right brain to do it the <laughs> right way. So this is one of those... Um, one of those things where, you know, we've talked about tracking users, um, and sometimes people can interpret that a, a little creepy, like like there's an invasion of privacy going on. But in this case, again, as I've talked about on other shows, you know, you're inviting people in to use your system so you can, like, there's records of, of what you did, or you can set it up to make records. You're the users are saying to the system what they're doing, so I, I've never exactly understood that as being too creepy. But um, in this case, this is where things can get a little interesting because you mentioned like tracking where the advertising spending is going, 
and understanding where the users come in. And that's a connection that I think a lot of people may not quite recognize is there. You can, in some ways, depending on the logic, you can see what advertisement brought people into the game. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's, it's a real thing. It's, it's a, it's a concern that I have as well as, as a gamer and just like a, a usual user of digital mediums. But, um, for myself, I've just had to, but because I am on the user acquisition side and, uh, I spend a lot of time, you know, looking at this data, uh, and to be clear, you know, it's, it's more about, uh, tracking patterns of groups of users than, you know, digging around in one person's information. That's not really what it, what it's all about. That's not, uh, we don't really have the means to, to do that firstly. Um, and that's also not really how you do user acquisition at scale, but when it comes to the privacy side in this era, honestly, for me, maybe it's cause I live in this, this area so much, but I've, I've just given up. I've just leaned into it and adopted the mantra of, of clean living. Just assume anything I do online is going to be tracked somewhere, somehow, whether I'm aware of it or not, and just uh, not living a life that uh, is going to suffer from consequences of that. Yeah, yeah that's um, that's that's certainly one way to look at it. And that's you, you also kind of hit on something I've talked about before with analytics, which is, well, I suppose you could look at a single user. That's not the point of the system. That's you know you don't get anything out of the system that way. It's it's about the the larger numbers. It's about looking at the larger trends. Yeah, exactly. It's all about finding patterns. Um, and the the upside of this type of really targeted advertising, um, if you're doing it right, ideally you're only showing people products that they're interested in, and you're not spamming people with a bunch of advertising for stuff that is uh, irrelevant to to their interest or offensive. So uh, that is that is the upside. Um, and sort of the evolution of why uh, you'll see that a lot of gaming and digital product companies, they don't have what you call a traditional advertising team because we're essentially just an advertising team that can track the results and be uh, accountable for everything we're doing. So if you have the technology to have that version of an advertising team, why would you want the advertising team that's just going out and buying a bunch of TV spots or billboards and then you know that you made some money, hopefully, maybe, but you don't really have any idea of which actions you took that, that did that for you. Yeah, I mean, for, for a lot of these games, if you're going to do, like, billboards and TV ads, you probably need to have, like, Supercell Clash of Clans money, where at that point you're not actually trying to bring people into the game. You're just trying to put, like, the image out there, and, and you know, it's like it's like TV ads for Coca-Cola. Did anyone not know about Coca-Cola before? Right. No, you're trying to make an image <laughs> for the product. Yeah, and I, I generally, anytime that, um, you know, a, a lot of our day in user acquisition is trying to find uh, new sources, uh, trying to vet different channels and say, you know, what are good investments of, of our money? Because, again, it's it's all accountable. If if our efforts have lost money, there's no dancing around it. Like, the data is all right there, and we can see, like, oh, last week, yeah, the, those users we brought in, you know, they paid for themselves. This week, we, you know, lost hundreds of thousands of dollars. Um, it's usually not that drastic, uh, luckily, if you've got a good team. Um, but I always push back, and usually a red flag anytime that uh, a company says they have a lot of brand inventory. Uh, one of the code words in the industry is basically like brand inventory or performance inventory. Uh, and basically, if a if a pocket of inventory says it's brand inventory, it's essentially like for for the suckers of the industry that uh, 
don't actually have the means to track their performance. So a company might that has advertising inventory might say, oh, well, we do have performance inventory. It's at a little higher price. Or we do have a brand inventory if you're just trying to increase your awareness. And basically, that could be like a lot of um, below-the-fold ads. It could be uh, apps or uh, users that, that aren't real people um, but produce cheap, quote-unquote, installs. But uh, if you actually track the results of, of that kind of inventory, uh, you get nothing back. And that's a big deal. Um if you work on free products, right? If, if you're bringing a product to the market that the cost of entry is free and we're spending, not even considering development cost, uh, if we're spending marketing cost to shout from the rafters, uh, hey, we have this free game. Um, if we don't track and find those pockets of users that will actually spend money in the game, uh, then we quickly go out of business. Mm. Yeah, that, that kind of touches on the, uh, I think what you were saying earlier about uh, trying to find users who are interested, because that's another thing that I think some people may not quite appreciate is the effort that goes into sing trying to identify those people. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's a few different ways that you can do that. There's um, sort of just looking, looking for patterns in your buying. Uh, and then there's the demographic approach. Um, so like when it comes to looking for patterns in the buying, a lot of times we'll buy from uh, a source. I'll, I'll just name like one that's uh, probably popular and familiar to users, even if they don't know they're interacting with it. Um, the development platform unity has advertising platform unity ads um, and that's uh, th that means there's an SDK in uh, any game built on Unity for mobile um, to serve ads if the designer chooses. So then us on the UA team will go to um, the advertising branch of Unity and say, hey, we want to test a bunch of your inventory. And uh, we start buying from them with maybe some simple targeting of, you know, we know our game only functions on iOS 10 and above. And uh, it's only in English, so we only target, uh, you know, major English-speaking countries. Then we'll get data back from uh, hundreds to thousands of different apps, and we we track the progression. We look for patterns. So uh, we might notice that uh, in the top ten apps, um, the top three of them, people are installing the game, but no one's even completing the tutorial. Um, and then we might look deeper and see that like it's a highly irrelevant game. Um, you know, it might be like a, my talking Tom or something aimed towards kids or uh, something that just injects a bunch of ads and rewards people for installing the game. But it's not a it's not an actual interested user. They're just uh, getting some coins back in the game, the original playing or something like that. So we look for those patterns early on, try to spot them in the first couple of days buying from a source. And then uh, later on, we actually start, you know, looking at the ROI of a given source over time. So. Uh, we, our goal might be to make the money back uh, advertising for a particular user in the first uh, called two months of of that user playing. So we track the pattern and say like, okay, well, in the first week uh, we made back you know 20% of what we spent bringing this user in. So uh, we have usually have a curve that shows how people spend over time, and we can know, okay, cool, they spent 20% in the first uh, week, so they're probably on track to actually pay for the cost that it cost us to tell them about the game. So, like, the, the curve that you mentioned would be accumulated uh, spend in the game over time based on what other users in the game have done. Yeah. Yeah, correct. Yeah. And, and, so, and so if someone, you like, say you brought people in and they had a, a higher curve, then that'd be great. We found a, a really good source here. Yeah. 
For sure. Yeah. And you might see that um, maybe you have a campaign targeting like a wealthy uh, island nation, you know, that has a higher median income, you know, um, mm. or it could be a, a city where it rains more. Um, so people spend more time uh, playing games and doing outdoor activities. You see weird patterns like that. And hopefully you find somewhere that, that you know, if, if you have a wealthy country you're advertising into, the chances are that user acquisition, would, like that, running the advertisements would cost more there. So you want to find that good cost benefit. Yeah, you would think. Um, a lot of people are still very archaic with their approach to user acquisition. Um, they just approach the same markets uh, that they've been focusing on, uh, maybe coming from console days. And uh, a mistake that a lot of people make is writing off markets or subsets of users because they think they're too small. Um, <laughs> but if you can uh, find ways to automate that process and group, you know, 100 very small but very interested groups of users together that nobody else cares about, um, that's, a, that's a tactic that my teams have used over the years to kind of go where other people are either too lazy or haven't looked around enough um, to find those areas of less competition. Wow, that's some savvy advice right there. Apparently, apparently you have launched Behind Line Radio to ahead of, cur ahead of the curve of the industry average. <laughs> Just doing my part. Yeah. Um, so, okay, so leading up to this, I, I sent out a question on Twitter to see if anyone had any questions about it, about user acquisition and stuff. And I think a bit of a reflection of the lack of awareness or understanding of the topic. Um, I got a couple of comments, one from enthusiast judge, Greg, uh, I asked, um, I'll explain specifically what I asked is, uh, how'd you learn about a game? What made you want it? That's part of user acquisition. Do you have any questions or comments? Judge Greg says, um, any game that causes controversy tends to be on my radar, GTA, mass effect, etc. And, uh, John Layola, the one-track punk, said, uh, word of mouth and buzz around news outlets. Hearing podcast pals talk about a game constantly has my interest. So, uh, Warren, in your side of things, do you uh, ever, like, feed into or notice controversies and stuff or, or uh, buzz uh, that a title might get and try to um, utilize that for your own purposes? Yeah, for sure. So, I, I would say... Um, for the most part, like the, the tactics that, that your listeners are talking about in those comments, that kind of does hit on the, the other half of the, um, the marketing business. Um, you know, a lot of companies these days are uh, divided into a user acquisition, which is just sort of your uh, laser targeted marketing that, that we're talking about here. And then there's the traditional um, product marketing or brand marketing that's interacting with the media more um, uh, doing the, doing the PR, um, maybe trying to make that, that viral content, uh, things like that. I will say though, that a good UA team is aware of controversy and is capitalizing on it. Um, and this goes back to the idea of, of you don't, I've, I've seen some UA teams where all they want is people that come from like a finance or data background. Um, for me, I've, I've taken one math class post high school, and it was just because I had to, to graduate. Um, <laughs> so there. that's definitely, yeah, that's definitely not me. Uh, I come from the, the creative side is just like, a, you know, a musician and independent filmmaker that wasn't making enough money doing those things. And so tried to learn another trade. Um, but to, uh, to circle back around to controversy, um, one thing that uh, teams I'm on, 
like to keep track of is what, what are other games facing controversy right now and what is likely to make users uh, open to trying something new. So um, I won't uh, name any names here, but we've definitely used tactics where we know uh, that the gaming community is frustrated with an update uh, or that there's been a lot of stability issues. Mm. And we'll target users in that particular game and uh, call out. Um, so I'll just uh, pick, uh, I don't know, uh, let's just pick, pick Game of War because they're, they're easy to pick on. And that's, yeah. that's, that, that's a game that you know, we, we haven't done. So I can say cleanly that this wasn't, wasn't us. But uh, say <laughs> that they had an extended uh, downtime. And we could target users of that game and just uh, you know have an ad that, you, you know use the usual uh, video that we might use for an ad, but have some ad copy. This is something like uh, you know tired of your your kingdom being shut down, or or you could even be more blatant, just like say sick of the downtime in Game of War, and uh, then target the users that are playing that game that you know are currently frustrated. Reference that pain point, um, and you can use that as part of your your marketing funnel. Uh huh. I was actually going to bring up Game of War and ask your opinion on their uh, user acquisition spending because some of it, like their their creative, seem a little duplicitous. And uh, the uh, um, I mentioned before stuff like um, something that looks like it's a like big game hunter screens, like uh, tap the thing to shoot the thing. It's like is this, this is for Game of War or something that looks like it's a slot machine, but it's actually for Game of War. It's like what? Yeah, they are um, kind of the, the 800-pound gorilla in the, the UA industry. Um, and I, I think it's a little funny, because, sorry to interrupt, but I think it's yeah, a little yeah. funny because uh, f- from watching them over the years, it's almost like they became the 800-pound gorilla just by acting like an 800-pound gorilla. Uh, I think there's there's a little bit of that going on. Um, but also, uh, they if you've interacted with that game at all, um, you see that it's essentially just they, they don't even consider themselves a gaming company. This is not um, slandering them like their their CEO will speak publicly and say that we don't consider ourselves a gaming company. Um, but that it's just a monetization machine. So they've designed, uh, you know, if, if if the hearsay is, is correct, they've designed, you know, one of the historically best monetizing products in the business when they find the right pockets of users. Uh, that's essentially when, uh, you know, I don't know what the, the current temperature is, but in, there's been periods of history where they've essentially just bid everybody else out of the, the market for large chunks of inventory. And uh, there's just kind of working knowledge amongst other people in the field that, like, if you're talking to an advertising source and you're asking, you know, what is uh, – to deviate, deviate a little bit here, usually when we're, we're advertising somewhere, we have to figure out what we're going to bid for the inventory. So we usually talk to uh, the source that owns the inventory and say, hey, what are the going rates uh, if we're trying to do uh, user acquisition in the U.S.? And they might throw some number out um, that seems ridiculously high to us. Uh, you know, the cost, average cost for bringing in a user from the source is, you know, uh, $30. Um, and we'll say, well, hold on. What, what's, what's, what's the cost if you remove um, Game of War as a buyer? And they're like, oh, okay, if you remove them, then it's actually this low. And it's a completely different number. Um, because historically they've just chosen to dominate ad inventory in, in particular pockets, huh. um, so it's they're a particularly a particularly divisive company in the space. Um, they have uh, a team that is in the the triple digits for the number of, of UA people they have there. Um, so they just operate in a completely different context, and they're divisive. Um, there's some people that that consider them masters of the field. There's some people that um, think that they uh, you know 
use a lot of extra resources and are not actually you know, doing this in a, the most safe, fiscally responsible manner. But uh, I'll, I'll refrain just because I don't have the, the, you know, the inside knowledge to know sort of which parts of gossip are, are correct about that. Hmm. Interesting. And when you refer to this space, do you, are you referring to the user acquisition space or the correct, mobile gaming yeah. space in general? Um, I guess uh, user acquisition for mobile gaming. Okay. Which is worth clarifying because um, there's yeah. some crossover. Uh, like, you know, we, it's no secret, like, there's a lot of gaming advertising on, on Facebook and Google. And uh, I've your... never heard of this. <laughs> Breaking news. <laughs> um, but all, all your typical big brand advertisers are also competing for that ad inventory. But a lot of what our team does is try to find pockets of inventory that are just gaming apps that really have low relevance to uh, the Coca-Colas of the world. Um, and we can pay more for that inventory because it's more relevant to us. Um, but it's usually more cost efficient because you're not, it's, if you're not making a game, uh, you're less interested in that inventory. And to some degree, you're less aware that inventory exists because these aren't the um, big brand advertising agencies or the Facebook Googles of the world. Okay. Um, another question I had, um, and this might be stealing Jeff's thunder a bit because this is the kind of question you will often ask Jeff. <laughs> but but I ask because I, I uh, happen to think that there should be a, a fairly interesting answer from it. So, yeah, I guess I am stealing your thunder. Uh, <laughs> well, then at least say it in Jeff's uh, voice. <laughs> I, I don't think I can do that. Uh, um, are there uh, any um, particular times that you've seen that, that you have found a um, uh, uh, market of users or like some trend in users coming in and how they monetize uh, that uh, leads to you suggesting some change in the uh, game itself to the developers? Sure. I mean, I think if, uh, you know, you could say this for any team at a game company, but if we're doing our jobs uh to the best we can. And if the company is functioning the best we can, no one's working in a bubble. Um, so it means if we see that uh, we're getting a bunch of users that are coming in, completing the tutorial, uh, but then uh, we're not seeing them progress after the third day of the game, we might come talk to the, the product team and be like, hey, what's what's going on with um, you know your, your day three of, of progression here? Like, can we take a look at uh, you know, how people are progressing through the events in the game, because um, while the user acquisition team is not really tracking individual user level data, um, a product team typically is and, and aggregating that that performance in even more granular way. So we will uh, then look and see, OK, well, we actually see that there's a pattern where everyone's dropping out right here. Maybe that means there's a difficulty spike or a paywall that's too intense in the game. Um, and we definitely are interacting with, with the product team and uh, uh, if you're working as a developer, the actual designers of the game. Um, but also, I think if you're a good user acquisition team, to some degree, you kind of know your, your place in the business and you're not trying to uh, uh, step on a game designer's uh, shoes. Mm. <clears throat> yeah. Hopefully you're just providing, um, you know, the, besides, uh, I, I guess I want to touch on sort of the other function of, of a user acquisition team. Um, there's, there's the obvious of, uh, we're trying to bring players in the game and make a company money. Um, but we're also trying to provide clean data for design. And, uh, that's kind of the two roles that we'll have, particularly when a game's in soft launch, we're not concerned at all about making money off of the, the players for the, the short term, 
Um, we just want to get really clean data to our uh, game designers, our product team, to so they can learn about the game and actually start getting live users in it and see how they need to iterate to make it more engaging, more fun, uh, and ultimately, uh, hopefully, more profitable. Mm. And that kind of touches on something else I was thinking, is how, how important uh, a good and efficient user acquisition probably is while a game is in soft launch. Oh, yeah. That's... um. A huge part of our uh, livelihood. Um, there's probably, depending on the company you're at, there may be more actual soft launch action than worldwide. Um, ideally, in free-to-play games, like you're not launching a bad game uh, because if you spend, you know, that those millions of dollars of marketing for your thing that costs zero dollars up front, you can lose a lot of money if you launch the, the wrong one. So we are very focused in just these uh, kind of surgical strikes of, of quickly bringing in groups of users. Uh, we, we might have a timeline of, okay, uh, we've been given a week and we need to bring uh, 5,000 users that have uh, typical user behavior and are from these countries on these devices, uh, and we need to bring them in you know, under this budget. And we know that we've got to do it on schedule, or if we don't, uh, the game design team, the product team, uh, aren't going to be able to learn about the player behavior because they they might need to test for you know what's a user doing when they hit level 30 or when they're uh, you know 15 days into playing, and you have to get the see the users in a very scheduled way so they actually get them to progress through the game with enough time where the users can reach that point. Uh, the game team can learn and iterate and hopefully improve the product before launch. Mm-hmm. And and this. That also kind of brushes up against the fact that um, user acquisition is one of those really big things that uh, um, publishers have the um, infrastructure to handle that developers often don't. I mean, I, it's something that I, I talk about a lot, so pardon me, beating a dead horse, dusting off an old chestnut or whatever metaphor you prefer. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and you don't want to you don't want to overlook this stuff. It's uh, there's just uh, I'm sorry. There's just so many so many of these types of things where people say that publishers are are working to uh, justify their existence in an industry that doesn't need them anymore because people can self-publish. Oh, great! But look at all these other services that a developer shouldn't have to pay attention to. Yeah, so I think that's a really good point. The the question of um... I, I think essentially what we're getting at is like, should every developer have a user acquisition team or at least a user acquisition person? Uh, not necessarily, or at least um, not early on. Uh, I've also, I, it was a great learning experience for me, but I've also had the experience of uh, being at a developer that were very early on in their life cycle and they knew, okay, this is mobile, user acquisition is really important. So we want to get a uh, uh, experienced user acquisition person on this team really early on, so we make sure we're on top of it. Um, I essentially worked at that company for over over a year, not actually doing any sort of live UA because the game kept getting delayed and getting delayed, as games often do. Um, and me, just because I'm curious about gaming and want to know more about the industry, I just tried to help out with other aspects of the business and get more involved. But they really didn't need to hire a user acquisition person when they did. Um, so I would say if you can afford it, uh, there's really good ROI there for a developer to have their own user acquisition team that understands their game, that has their best interests in mind. But 
don't bring that hire on until you actually know that you think you have a game you're going to bring to market. Because especially for a lean team or an indie developer, um, it's, it's an in-demand industry. And if you want someone experienced, it's not going to be the cheapest hire on your team. And you don't want to do that if you uh, are not really sure what quarter or what year your game is going to launch. Make, uh, make sure that you you know have have a release date in sight, or at least the game's further far enough along that um, you want live users in for iterating, uh, and then consider it. The the other approach, if uh, someone doesn't want to work with a big publisher and has cash in the bank one way or another, is you can use a user acquisition agency. But I really recommend against this. Uh, the reason being, the agencies uh, all have a billing model based on a percentage of your ad spend. So that's their driving KPI. They're just going to be trying to make you as a developer, uh, encourage you to spend as much as possible on user acquisition. Um, mm. Maybe uh, uh, they might take advantage of the fact that, like, okay, this developer doesn't have their own user acquisition background, so we can uh, kind of cherry pick how, how we present the numbers to make this look like it's going great, encourage them to up their spend. Um, you're not going to have that same kind of risk if you have an internal UA team or uh, a, a trusted publisher. Um, they're going to understand that essentially, you know, we're all in this together. Uh, we're trying to make a game that, that pays for itself here, and we're going to you know, pinch our pennies and spend our money wisely and not spend it when it doesn't make sense to spend it. All right. Um, another topic here that I kind of wanted to, to see if you had anything to say on, uh, a little bit coming off of what, uh, 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 Judge Greg and John Layola were saying, but a lot of other, uh, people I've heard talk on, on topics like this seem to be along the lines of, you know, you're going to, they, they, so they say like, you're going to know everything that comes out. Like, these are people who follow the news and stuff. Like, I know all the titles that are going to come out that I'm interested in. Um, and one, er, well, and they, they, this also is the kind of thinking of if you build it, they will come. Like, right. bu build a great product and everything will follow after that. Um, I think a lot of people have this impression of if you can make a really good product, market awareness will just spontaneously generate organically. Is that um, is that anything that trend or that mindset anything you've ever come up against in in your uh, uh, career as uh, in user acquisition? Sure, absolutely, and sometimes it's true, but I would say ninety nine point nine percent of the time it's not. Um, and there's a lot of uh, kind of bubble inside the bubble thinking in the games industry of we might see something in the press everywhere. Uh, and on, on, you know, gaming sites and there might be a lot of buzz about it, but th the average person that's just like, uh, you know, a dad in Nebraska that's working nine to five job and, uh, you know, goes on Facebook here and there in his free time, like he's not reading any of that stuff. And, um, appealing to one, one interesting thing about mobile is like, you know, we all, I think a lot of us that work in the industry grew up as gamers and, you know, it's, we're having some version of uh, living out childhood fantasy by working in the games industry. Um, but mobile is uh, the, the evolution of you know, audience because all of a sudden people who never considered themselves gamers before um, have like a full-fledged, uh, arguably console-quality gaming experience in their pocket. And the potential install base is bigger than it ever was before. Um, 
the mark of a successful mobile game, at least a financial successful mobile game, uh, it, it's not appealing to um, you know the just the Kotaku's of the world and um, the the game critics and the, that that audience that that we ourselves are probably part of. It's reaching out to um, that you know twenty times greater or more uh, the rest of the world that has a gaming device and they're like, Oh cool. I can actually play games on this thing. I never considered myself a gamer. So I never bought a console, but, uh, the app store is right here. I can download this thing for free. And there's that whole nother audience. So I would argue in mobile, particularly for free to play mobile, you don't actually have those success stories. I mean, the, the ones you do, you can usually count, count on one hand any given year. Um, because you have to break through to the average person, um, who might be interested in the game, but doesn't read those gaming sites, doesn't listen to gaming podcasts. So I think there's some carryover thinking there from the console world. And I would say that, that maybe that's still more true in the, the console and steam world, any, anywhere where there's like a, a more of an upfront purchase, but I don't think that's the case for free to play mobile games. Uh, you know, the, you, you mentioned uh, console games and it reminds me of, of a story that kind of points out that that sort of discoverability uh, or awareness issue has been around for a long time. Uh, the old NES game, Metal Storm. Uh, I really liked that game. The only, <laughs> the only reason I knew about it was because it got on a Nintendo Power cover, or was covered in Nintendo Power, and yeah. it was the cover story. And that was about all the marketing that that thing got. And yeah. I, my understanding is that really kind of hamstrung the game's sales, and it wound up being kind of a, a commercial failure. Uh, this is often old memory, so if I'm wrong, I'm I'm wrong about that. But that was the impression I got, you know. So it was. Uh... Yeah, I'm, I'm guessing Metal Storm didn't have a really robust U18. <laughs> yeah, that one was. Uh, I don't. I, I'm not sure they had exactly a, the concept of UA as you described it back then, because that was like '89. <laughs> that was an NES game way back when. But uh, yeah. Uh, so Jeff, did you have, did any of this, uh, spawn any other questions or did yeah. I in fact steal all of your thunder? Yeah, no. Uh, well, after you stole my question, I rapidly tried <laughs> to come up with a couple others. Uh, well, so, well, one, one that came to mind is, uh, Warren, you, you mentioned, um, cities and, and countries, etc., cetera, as, as sort of targets earlier. I, I'm wondering how granular it gets. Like, do, do you literally go down to like census level, geographic level, it, like how 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 refined does it get? It, it, like is the per, is the perfect customer for a game super super specific sometimes, or it, are you generally casting a wider net? Yeah, you you can uh, use geolocation on an even tighter level depending on the advertising source. I would say like the the most granular ways that you do target are more um, they're more systematic. Um, let me let me explain a little bit. So like one of the really effective um, kind of newer developments in user acquisition is what's called lookalike targeting. And that's basically you've, you have uh, some data on your game to know, um, to identify a group of users as valuable. So for instance, um, you could have a free to play game and uh, you could, you know, write a query for your user base and say, give me a list of user IDs for anyone who's ever spent more than $10 in the game. And so now you have a seed audience of users and you can then upload that seed audience to Facebook, to other uh, UA platforms and do what's called a lookalike, which is essentially, a, and, and I call Facebook because 
Facebook has tons of demographic data on all its users. So they will match those user IDs to Facebook accounts. And then the algorithm starts going crazy for um, identifying attributes of those people. So it might be age, it might be the city they work in, it might be occupation, uh, gender, um, they like family guy, uh, interests, um, uh, things that approximate income level by their, their browsing habits. And this is, no one is you know, digging around in any one person's data, but the algorithm is looking at all these, uh, you know, all the hundreds of demographic points that Facebook has on users. And at that point, for a UA team, they can say, okay, cool, Facebook, you've got that seed audience, algorithm's going crazy, give me, you know, the top 2% of your users in, uh, you know, in English-speaking countries that that match, that, that most closely resemble this, this ideal user that we've put together through demographic traits. And that's one of the more granular, uh, in, in some ways terrifying, but in some ways really uh, <laughs> exciting and interesting ways to to use that really granular level of, of targeting to find the right people. I think and it's again, a little funny you, you describe yeah. that as uh, uh, exciting and terrifying. Considering yeah, sure. it basically <laughs> plays into like the last couple of articles I wrote about algorithmic right. solutions. Yeah. yeah. Other, other thing I was wondering is how often does what your department do, uh, th- does it sort of veer into what, I don't know if this is a real, real terminology, but how often does it, touch on to user retention or user reinvigoration. Uh, I, yeah. I only really play a, a handful of, uh, of, of free-to-play games, and the ones that I do tend to go through a process of, of, uh, of releasing huge updates that sort of re-excite the existing base and also have attract new eyes as well. I'm just I'm wondering how often that what you know what portion of what you do sort of falls into that category. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Jeff. That's that's another big part of the business um, that we hadn't touched on yet. So really, your user acquisition team in a lot of companies is just your your paid media team. Um, just hopefully they're measuring everything they're doing, uh, and part of that, yeah, for free to play is is doing the uh, you call it retention and reengagement, depending on or one one of those two terms or both. Um, so it's looking for those groups of users that uh, have lapsed in playing. So, you know, we, we got into the weeds a minute ago and talked about writing a query for uh, mm-hmm. people that have spent over $10 in the game. Uh, take that same query and say, OK, make me a list of um, everyone who's spent $10 in the game but has stopped playing for more than a week. And now we have a list of all of our lapsed payers in the game. And we can use that list, and then we can go uh, uh, you know, upload that data and uh, retarget those users. Um, and maybe we've made a new uh, video ad that just is really heavy on content for a new character in the game. Um, so we can retarget those users, show them that video, showing the new character gameplay, uh, and hopefully bring them back in the game. But we, yeah, we also track that. And um, on our side, uh, on the UA side, we call that a reattribution. That's essentially mm-hmm. when someone has, you know, they've, they've fallen out of, they have ceased interacting with the game long enough that we stopped taking credit for it as the initial time we brought them in. And then right. they're brought back in as a reattribution. And uh, it's an important part of the business. If you're doing it right, it's a very small percentage of your spend, but um, uh, can be very profitable because you already know that users a known quantity. Um, particularly if it's something easy, like the case you identified of, like they just ran out of content. 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly, yeah. I'm also wondering, um, and I, I don't know if this... <laughs> This this might veer into another whole show topic altogether, Nick. But is oh, there, go for it, go for it. I want yeah, more show topics. The uh, a lot of what you're talking about um, interaction with customers and their behavior, etc. Over time, I, obviously, this is focusing heavily on the free-to-play model. But do you think there's I think there's lessons here that that uh, companies and games that are making making products in other spaces could learn from this? Like, are there, are there things to be learned from the way that you deal with UAT for the companies that are out there selling $60 one-off titles or, or $60 titles with, with uh, DLC or, or are these just two different kingdoms that uh, the, the customer bases and, and advertising, et cetera, don't have anything to do with one another? No, I, th- I think the principles are very universal, which is essentially you want to know where the hell your advertising money went and did it do anything? Are we just yeah. setting our money on fire or did this actually do something? And the, the concept of identifying the ideal user for your product uh, and spending to just bring people like that. You know, I, I work in games now, but I've worked in all sorts of other fields before it was really called user acquisition. Um, you know, I worked in the online dating industry for a long time. Um and I, I had my own agency doing this for like a number of different products. I still do it to help out like a, a small friends company who they make they make like a special kind of guitar strap. And um, we do UA profitably for this just like niche uh, physical product um, because they do something that's highly specialized. Huh. They bought a billboard, they go out of business overnight. So <laughs> it's finding like that those tiny pockets of users that um, are are the the group of customers that they want. So. Uh, yeah, I think the the principles are universal, but the the tactics aren't necessarily. If I if I yeah. try to take uh, you know do online dating advertising in all of my gaming channels, uh, this, despite uh, uh, what what I might hope, it would just fail miserably. <laughs> it reminds me of uh, there was one place I worked at right at the beginning of of, of mobile gaming being a, a business in the mid two thousands, early to mid two thousands. And this place bought TV ads. They actually produced like two or three TV ads. We saw uh, we saw them, and then they they aired them on like I don't know. It was like two a.m. on some like local sports something or other. It's like right. why why did you spend that money to do that? I mean, they right. weren't exactly expensive videos. Um, it was like you know single camera, single shot kind of a thing yeah but find that that inventory was was not cheap i guarantee oh yeah it, it, it there's no way it, it was this dumb almost hey look at us we're big we bought a tv ad yes and that's you know it's it's interesting <laughs> it, it, it's no secret that there's a lot, a lot of big personalities and egos in the game industry and uh a lot of times when you see a, a mass market ad that super bowl ad for that mobile title that like this is uh why is this showing on the super bowl there's usually at some point in the process there's there's someone's ego involved someone that wants yeah. to show that they're a big time product <laughs> you can go toe to toe with the budweiser's of the world um but yeah. you touched on an interesting concept kind of um we, i think we've we've danced around it a little bit but the idea that at the end of the day like when you're buying advertising uh you're you're paying in some way or another for each set of eyeballs that see your ad and when you buy that TV ad, you're paying for the eyeballs of everyone's grandma, their 
two-year-old <laughs> sons, uh, yeah. everyone who doesn't even have the uh, device that can play the game, uh, that doesn't even speak the language, um, it's anyone that might be in the vicinity of that ad, and you're just setting that money on fire. And that's why now that technology has evolved, um, you know, it's, it is that idea of like, well, what if you're only showing it to the people that have a chance that they are interested or at least able to install this game? Um, that's if it's done right, that's a win for both sides. Uh, it's a win mm -hmm. for the game developer and their advertising team and also a win for the user that um, I'm seeing an ad for another role playing game that I might be interested in rather than, uh, I don't know. I, carburetor yeah yeah the bud light and some some a crap beer that i don't want to drink <laughs> <laughs> i don't drink beer so i have no opinion on bud light yeah <laughs> <laughs> okay um cool there was um moving on there was one additional question that judge greg posed on twitter that is not exactly related but uh, I've said before, if if you give me a comment in the lead up to an episode, it will get on air, and that will be true until a, an, a, unless or until I get inundated with so many comments that I can't get uh, through them all. So this gets on the air. Uh, Let's go there. Uh, what's your lukewarm take on EA shutting down Visceral and the message inferred by gamers about the single player experience? And I think I'll start off on this because this is something that I've kind of been forwarding off of from the uh, Ask a Game Dev Tumblr account, that there's a whole lot of numbers that we don't have access to, so we can't really say that, oh, this, you know, some people might think, oh, just release it and get some of your money back. Well, we don't know the deals. We don't know the number behind it. We don't know how far along it was. It might be that, after, like, this was announced in... 2014 it's had three years of development if it's only say 10 percent complete after three years then yeah that's that's a mercy kill um or what is the exact nature of the star wars licensing deal uh is this a case where if they released it they they, they only have to pay the licensing when they release it i don't even know if that's an option but that's just one, just way, one to way to think about it and I mean, in that case, then, okay, if you release it, are you going to just lose money in the process of releasing it? And then there's advertising. If you don't release it, you don't have to advertise for it. We don't even know how good the game was, so as much of it that there might have been. I mean, I think the, the – I, I looked at it, and the only trailer information I saw was this, like, five-second clip of a guy walking through a doorway. And this is getting that much uh, ire from the populace. Like, I, th I I take it, I personally take it as, okay, we have this revenue projection for the game originally. The development has gone past what we can make a profit off of with that, or even break even, or, or have it be remotely desirable for us to be released. And people saying single player versus multiplayer, well, the... Perhaps there's data that shows that if this were a multiplayer game, the revenue peak would be, you know, maybe twice as much. I'm just making up a number. Mm -hmm. So it's not necessarily to say that, no, we don't believe in single-player games in general, so much as to say this 
if this is strictly single player, it won't support itself. Yeah. Uh, Jeff Warren, do you have any thoughts on that? I I don't know. I I just I just think people. Well, two things. I don't I don't. Uh, I, I get that you're trying to give EA the benefit of the doubt. I stopped giving them the benefit of the doubt years ago, even though a lot of those arguments make a lot of sense sense to me. They've they've de- they've demonstrated they've made a lot of of uh, confirmed foolish decisions. So perhaps this is a a, a good decision based on a lot of uh, financials, et cetera, et cetera. But their tr- with their track record being as bad as they have, I tend to just assume that they're uh, being malicious or foolish or some combination thereof. But also, I, I, as far as the gamers and the single-player experience is concerned, you, you might just have to expect that if you want quality single-player experiences, you might just have to look elsewhere. You know, the if... These are organizations that can't seem to make games without spending huge amounts of money, uh, and they think in terms of you know it has to sell two million, it has to sell four million. How can we make it sell that much? That's that's their concern. Uh, there are other companies out there who are making single player experiences that that don't do this dance. So. I, I don't know. I, I I moved on. I moved on from assuming that I was going to get quality single player experiences from companies like EA years ago. So may, I don't know. May, maybe I'm just ahead of the the curve on on that. Uh, I think you're beating a dead horse if you assume a company like EA is is going to be singularly focused on on stuff like that. Uh, and you don't have to look too far to find good games outside of their strata anyway. So uh, I don't know. Uh, and, and you know, as, as far as the Star Wars license is concerned, it's been it, it's Star Wars has been hit hit or miss as far as games are concerned since I was like eight years old. So, <laughs> you know, for every as we all know, for every KOTOR, there's, you know, there's a Masters of Terakai or or three. So uh, I, I try not to get too upset about one individual Star Wars game because there's a, a litany of others that have been disappointing for and there will be since. Yes, there will probably be another Star Wars game. Yeah, <laughs> that's my guess. That's my guess. Long after EA's uh, tendrils are, are are off of it, and someone else has uh, got the the license, uh, there'll be more. <laughs> yeah, cool. I mean, yeah. I, oh, oh, sorry, go ahead, Warren. No, okay. you go. Cool. Um, I think a lot of what uh, Jeff says is true, but just do a little bit to play devil's advocate. I. Uh, publishers don't like to cancel games. Um, I've definitely had to learn this the hard way. Essentially, you know, I, I see all the data, and there's been a lot of <laughs> projects that I've worked on where I'm just like, you guys, we gotta let this one go. Like, we're gonna just keep losing money. Um, it's uh, game a triple A AAA console game um, like what they were doing for the Star Wars game is. Like it's massively bloated and expensive budget to make something like this. Um, and my prediction is there's probably several pivots in design where they went back to zero, and that you know that budget timer got reset. And to tie back to what Nick said, there's probably some PNL somewhere that says you know based on our data of this genre uh, multiplied by this IP, this game will make this much money. And at some point, the math probably just looked really bad to the point where even just getting it to the finish line um, wasn't going to cover its its cost. 
uh, it's really expensive when when the, uh, a team with a pedigree like that with a publisher like EA like it's just it's a it's a bloated process. And to Jeff's yeah. point, it's not where we're seeing like the huge wins and like innovation and great experience um, because there's so much that is just spreadsheet out about you know what these games risk averse, right? right. <laughs> Right. Well, the, so the, I, the more expensive something gets, the more risk averse the financier is going to be. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. At I, the end I of the day, definitely. Sorry. Yeah, I was just going to say, and then at the end of the day, you just get another FPS with a dude in a helmet. <laughs> is that the only? That's the only thing that maths out. Yeah. I mean, I can I can definitely second the the observation that publishers do not like canceling a game where. You, yeah, I've I've seen it too. A, a, a project that's just, you know, it's garbage. It's always going to be garbage. It's never going to not be garbage. And somehow it gets it gets released, and basically every dollar spent between when you've decided that it's just hot garbage, and when you finally put a bullet in its head, um. You might every dollar that you spend between those, you might, if you're lucky, get five cents back. Yeah. And to so. uh, tie it tie it back to uh, myself because I like talking about myself. Um, <laughs> for that's that, why you're here. The topic for the day. Uh, it, on on the UA team, we're in an interesting spot in the company because we are often um, like judge and jury um, data wise for for a title um, because we'll we'll soft launch you know ten or more games in a given year and from a, a, just looking at numbers perspective, we don't, obviously we have games that we love more, but we also want to do whatever's going to be most profitable for the company. So we usually, it's pretty clear in when we're looking at our portfolio of games, like these games will be successful. These won't just based on how they're performing in soft launch. And a lot of times um, for a team that might just be, that whole team is just working on their game. Uh, they might see us as, you know, like, well, why is why is the UA team pushing? Why, why, you know, why do they have it in for us? Why are they saying we shouldn't launch this game? And from our perspective, we're just like, dudes, we're just looking at the data. Like, we brought people into ten different games. They had great experiences in these three, and yours isn't one of them. Like, just uh, it's 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 an interesting place that that we end up in as the providers of that data of you know what's working, what's not working in the marketplace. Yeah. Oi. Okay. Um, I think now is a good time to go into the war story segment. Warren, I actually remember to let you know about this ahead of time so you can think about what to say. <laughs> that always helps. Okay. Yeah, I'm bad at that sometimes. But uh, do you have any interesting uh, industry anecdotes to share with us? Yeah, I've got okay. Here, here's a here's a pretty good one from UA side. This was a, a close friend of mine, um, their company. Uh, essentially, there was a game that they were running UA for, you know, for for many months, and the game wasn't doing well. And eventually, they sunset the game. You know, they I think they removed it from the app store, uh, brought everyone off the project, and they moved on. Uh, well, the thing about UA campaigns is uh, they're going until you shut them off. Oh my. And so, uh, you know, I think this was kind of like out of sight, out of mind for this UA team. Like, okay, cool, we're not working on this project anymore. And then uh, once it was like six months down the road, they, they got like a quarterly bill for, or some like past due notice in their finance department, just like owing several hundred thousands of dollars. And they're like, oh, no, this must be an error. Like, we, we shut this game down a long time ago. Obviously, we're not doing UA for it. 
But uh, campaigns were still running, just running every day, spending thousands of dollars every day, just ads going to nothing, and oh, uh, no. lost the company several hundred thousand dollars just putting an ad out there that went to a blank page. And oh, uh, no. that's that's the kind of thing that keeps us up at night, makes us wake up in the middle of the night, check our UA data, and say, all right, everything's okay. Go back to yeah. sleep. Yeah, that sounds brutal. Oh. Yeah, I've I've been in situations that were bad enough where like the release didn't get into this like soft launch region, and there was like a five thousand dollar UA spend that went into nothing or something like that was bad enough. Right. Yeah, it gets a lot worse. <laughs> yeah. Ah. All right. Well, good conversation. Thanks. Uh, thanks, Warren, for joining us. Yeah, my pleasure, guys. Yeah. Thanks. And uh, Jeff, you got anything coming up on uh, Point Streak? I know we did the. Uh, a, I don't know when the uh, pro wrestling one you mentioned last week is going up. Uh, it's going up this uh, coming week. Um, oddly enough, uh, I'm thinking about doing Star Wars games. The, the this recent uh, this recent announcement has sort of reminded me that I meant to, and I know that that's technically not a genre, but to me it sort of is in its own weird way, a genre unto itself. So, yeah, that might be the next cab off the rank. There's a couple others uh, that I've been thinking about, too, but that's the one I'm uh, leaning towards. Um, I'll have to get together an A-team for that one. All right. Well, then, um, thanks, everybody, for joining us here on Behind the Line Radio. If there's anything you'd like to see me write about in the Behind the Line article series or hear us talk about here on Behind the Line Radio, you can always get in touch with me at kinetic at enthusiacs.com. That's K-Y-N-E-T-Y-K at enthusiacs.com. Or follow me on Twitter at KineticNose. See you all next time, everybody. Behind the Line Radio is presented by Enthusiacs.com. For more podcasts, Let's Plays, articles, videos, reviews, and more, visit us at Enthusiacs.com. Also, send us a comment on Twitter at Enthusiacs. View us on YouTube, channel Enthusiacs, and like us on Facebook, Enthusiacs.